Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today, uh, I get to welcome uh, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long time now, uh, Mr. Lee Waddell. Uh, Lee is a prolific stuntman in Hollywood film and television. Uh, one of his most iconic roles is that as Ghostface in Scream 1 and 2, uh, where he killed Drew Barrymore. And uh, everything from TV show, all my favorite action movies growing up from Con Air to Face Off to Batman Returns, and Spider-Man and Terminator. Uh, I love talking to people in the stunt world because I'm super blown away by the stuff you guys go through to put on a, make something super believable. So Lee, it's great to have you on here. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You know, it took, a, it took us a... It took us a little bit to get our schedules synced up to where we could finally do this. So it's great to be here. Thanks again. Well, uh, I want to just jump into that because I know obviously the pandemic's coming to a, I mean, all things considered, it's people are getting back out there doing to what they did before and the convention stuff that you've been doing. And then with the in conjunction with the recent uh, screen movie that came out, it's crazy to me that a film that obviously Wes Craven's a genius or was a genius and uh, for that longevity, that series, and you're obviously a part of it. How cool has it been to be out there at conventions now and people bringing you the, the ghost face masks or posters and stuff and be like, man, thank you for doing this. Yeah, that's actually, you know, I'm just back in my time, you know, I've retired out and back in my day, I was just a hard working stunt guy. You know, we'd go from show to show to show, just, you know, making a living and grinding it out. And so here we are. I think the last time I was in front of camera was like back in 2012, somewhere in there, probably slid on out around 2015. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, here we are 25, 26 years later, Scream is a distant great chapter memory, loved it. Um, and all of a sudden, these people hunt me down for lack of a better term and go, hey, we want you to do this. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I had no clue that this world existed, right? And uh, so they convinced me to, to do a signing and then come out and do one of the conventions. I was very reserved because during my career, I never got pictures with me and the people I doubled. I never did autographs. I, that's just not my style. I'm really old school in that sense that you know, I was very respectful of, of the talent and they had their world and my job was to make them look good while getting blown up or whatever that, you know, that scene was. And so for me to kind of be 180 off my personality, and to go out and do autographs and kind of, fame's kind of too strong a word, but you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there in that public signing of something. And it, it took me a while to kind of reset my mind to, to have fun with it, right? So the very first convention I did, um, was this thing called Horror Hound, it was a little bit earlier this year, I don't know, I think Cincinnati or someplace. And I was really conservative. I'm like, uh, you know, I told my, my agent, I'm like, no, nah, stick me in the corner and just let me hang out. and. Uh, one of the old time uh, Wes Craven's stunt coordinator, Tony Caesar, who's icon in the business. Yes. He was there, right? And Tony kind of took me under his wing again. You know, he, he seems to be doing that in my life. And uh, so he goes, ah, this is how it works. And he kind of walked me through and we had a great time. Uh, you know, I got to see Tony again. I hadn't seen him in years. I got to hook up with like Dick Warlock, another guy, icon, right? Yes. And so when I was coming in the business, Dick and Tony were already established. So those were the guys that I looked up to. They mentored me, they, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and so it was really cool to hang out there with those guys and reconnect and have a good time. So that experience was so positive. We had so much fun. I'm like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. Let's do this again, just on the, just on the fun factor. So um, that, that world's kind of opened up to me now. And I'm very blessed and very thankful for that. You know, this is just a lot of fun and the Scream fans are fanatics. I mean, yes. You know, horror fans in general are just a blast. Okay. But you know, I'm biased. Yeah. I'll take my Scream fans and I say mine. That's hilarious. Um, you know, they know so much about the film. I'm like, I did that. I'm, not, I'm the dude who was running around in the, in the room. I didn't know I did that. You know, they know, the different mask and the different wardrobe and the different characters. I mean, they're just, they're fanatics and they're so cool. They're so fun to, to interact with and to sign their stuff. It's really, it's really a cool experience. So I'm going to keep doing that for a while while I'm having fun. 
No, I think you should. I think being having fun doing it is what sells it for you and other people. Especially because sometimes you see those actors, oh, it's the 30th anniversary of so-and-so movie or TV show, and they don't want to be there, but they're obligated. It's like, if you have fun with it, I think that resonates with the fans more because it's like, man, this guy really appreciates all the support we've given him with the franchise over the years. So, I mean, again, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess what when, I've, when you would watch a movie like Scream and you and you obviously spoiler alert you realize it's Skierlich and uh, I can't think of that guy's name but there's two killers in the movie and when you after as when I first see the movie I'm like well why couldn't Skierlich or this other person play Ghostface and then you kind of realize as I get older. Uh, I realized, man, you do need professional people to do some of these stunts and some of these falls and some of these stuff. And it's like, how does it, for you, I mean, even for the viewer, how difficult is it for people to realize that, hey, there's actually a professional stuntman doing this stuff, whether it's the fall or a fire stunt or even a stabbing motion or whatever it is. Like, for me, I was just kind of like, man, why couldn't the actor do this? And then now I have a fonder appreciation of the stunt men and women that actually do this stuff. Yeah, well, you got to, that's a multifaceted, you know, question to answer. You got to remember, as stunt performers, it's harsh to say, but it's reality is we're expendable, right? You know, you don't want to imagine if we had like one of the guys skied or, or somebody going down the stairs playing that character on he rolls his ankle, right? Right. Um, but, even if he sprains it six weeks, you know, <laughs> they could shoot around some of that, but somewhere along the line, he's got to walk. So, you know, you put, you put the, the stunt man, stunt girl and, uh, you know, let them do their job. And, uh, it, it sounds harsh, but you'd rather wad up a stunt person than to wad up a, an actor or an actress and shut down a million dollar an hour production. And, you know, and so, it's, it's, it's very viable and, and as movies have evolved, you know, over the last few decades with more CGI, more wire, more everything, it's, uh, it's even more important now. As much as you can put an actor in front of the camera in a, in a stunt type situation, there's more opportunity now right. for than ever was before. When it comes to working with someone like Wes Craven for Scream 1 and 2, how like what was the process for you to actually become the performer of Ghostface? Like, was there a, a a people? What were you basing your movements on? Your actions? Was there other work or other stuff that Wes or yourself kind of look back on and be like, hey, we should have the killer move like this? Like, what went into the creation of Ghostface? Yeah. So during Scream One, and let, let's clarify something right now. Ghostface by design was never played by just me or just one other stunt guy or just one of the actors, right? And the reason they did that is they didn't want to have someone get locked into that character. And then also that goes back to what we talked about earlier, that that person, let's say I was playing that character all the way through and here we are at the final thing and I'm supposed to get, turn into a lawn dart and get flown off the van or something like that. You know, you wad me up and now you got to go get a character that moves like me and da 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 So from the beginning of the, and we didn't, back then it was a fun script. We didn't have any idea it was going to do what it did in terms of a franchise. But back then it was just like, well, we'll just have the stunt guys play each part. So I started off the genre um, when, when I killed Drew. And of course I got to kill Henry Winkler, which was, a whole, we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But that was just hilarity. Because I'm like, it's the fonts, it's Henry Winkler, right? And I don't know what, and back, you know, let's, let's segue real quick. I don't get starstruck around celebrity, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it sounds harsh, but I'm not impressed, right? Um, but here's Henry Winkler, man. Come on, I grew up on the Fonz. I mean, this he's iconic, right? Yeah. And it was one of those few moments in my career that I was like, I was looking at him, we're getting ready to do the scene. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna kill Fonzie. I don't know how I'm gonna do this, right? <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Um, so from the from the get go, it was always gonna be multiple people playing the character. Okay, I was just blessed enough to be the guy to set the tone for the genre, right? And that driver was from Wes and, and Tony Caesar. Um, you know, and Wes was such a cool cat, man. I, I miss his presence in the film industry. Who knows what he could have done, right? Oh. He, was, he was just such a master of it. And uh, so he, you know, he goes, 
oh, this is the character and da da da. And he actually didn't give me a huge in-depth, you know, deep dive on the character. I'm like, okay, you know, like once again, I'm a work and stun guy. I'm like, sure, what do we gotta do? He goes, oh, you just gotta do this and this, and you're gonna kill Drew and da 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 da. And for the subtleties of it, of how I would hold the knife or how he wanted to see me stab her, that's where he got detailed, right? Because he was looking for specific visual reference. Yeah, so like when we were doing some of the actual stabbing stuff, we did two or three takes, which, you know, most uh, performers like one take because you don't have to do take two regardless of the page. Right. Um, and so that that's where the nuances of Wes really started driving in on, on that particular character was you know, how he would kill you or what what he wanted to see visually. Like you grab that knife, they wanted to see the light reflect off the edge of the blade. I'm sure whatever you want, you know, the boss. So that's kind of, and then there were several stunt guys through the whole series that um, that played Ghostface. But I did the first half of Scream One, then I rotated out. A really super talented guy by the name of Dane Fargo came in. Yeah, and he took the reins for the second half. Uh, Scream Two came along. Um, once again, Tony gave me the, probably the, the funnest part of that film, which was to do, do the whole driving sequence and yes. a few more people. That was a blast. Um, so we had a lot of fun with that. And then, uh, did we, I don't think, to, did, did Wes, he did number three, didn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And so he had, I'd left that genre at that time, so, was, so had Tony, so... Yeah, you know, hey, this is going to be bad for my Scream Three, Four fans, but I didn't even watch the franchise after that. Right. Um, I did number five because twenty uh, fifth anniversary. There was a lot of hype coming on. Yep. I enjoyed the, the the fifth one for the most part. There were some really great nods to Wes and his directing style in that. Right. So I really appreciated what they were going for, and they they hit it on a few books. Was the for the actual cost to be the wear? Was that was that the first choice like or was that i don't remember seeing that mask anytime before scream now you see it everywhere it's part of the horror lexicon of history and whatever was that the first costume you had kind of show like wes had picked for you guys to wear yeah so this is where um so here's how this went down right and there's all these experts and documentaries and about there's a documentary out there about you know about the whole scream and the mask and all this stuff. And I'm like, nobody talked to me about it, right? I don't think anybody, gosh, they couldn't talk to Wes. Nobody talked to Tony Caesar about it. Um, so I don't know where they got their their information from. Wes, you know, when we first started on this thing, I didn't get on involved until just before shooting, right? I went on the pre-production side of it that much. Maybe I had about a two week notice, but my understanding from a, a has been told to me was that Wes goes down to the Halloween shop, pulls off three or four Great. masks, right? And basically he's like, hey, let's use, you know, he, he shows everyone, hey, let's use this one. I mean, it was about that simple. And, um, you know, and then off, here we go, off to the races. So that's about how that went down. It wasn't some big articulated process. He just pulled a bunch of stuff off a shelf, bought it. We're like, yeah, this one looks good. Let's go with this one. And the, the very first masks were like made out of t-shirt material and they replaced the mesh in them and all this other little nuances that nobody really knows about. That wardrobe did their tricks, what they do so well to, to make it look right and feel right and they actually be able to see um, and stuff like that. So you, that's, you how, that's how it went down. He picked it up off the shelf and said, let's go. Crazy. And you, you, yeah. you kind of mentioned the Henry Winkler uh, death scene. But before that, the Drew Barrymore one, I thought what was so shocking about it, because here she is lead, be, almost becoming a leading lady or very prolific at that time. You're not going to kill off someone like Drew Barrymore. And so for a scene like that, or even like the, the, the Henry Winkler one, what goes into the rehearsal of this in terms of where Wes has, hey, you're going to stab her this way, this way, but how many takes do you have to get to, to you finally get that final kill shot? So if I remember my history correct. We, I actually worked with Ms. Barrymore a couple of times prior to this one, but um, we got to shoot in sequence. And, and, but what that means is that, you know, movie, movies are very seldomly shot in sequence. So when we were at that house up there in Petaluma, 
yep. um, and we were shooting that. So that actually went down sequentially. So that was the opening of the film, you know, in the theaters. That's also the first week of production for us. So we got to shoot that first. So it really, um, it was easy to, um, it was a natural segue because I hadn't seen Drew in a couple of years and I don't even think she knew that I was me, but it didn't really matter because I was ghost face, right? And so, uh, you know, we shot it sequentially also all the way throughout the night. And we did a, and that's exactly what we did. We did like one rehearsal, like running towards camera. They got most iconic scene in, in, in the film is when I'm running her down, right? And if the subtlety of it is everything's in regular motion and then, and then West downshifts and puts everything into slow motion. And, and I don't know if the viewer actually realizes what he does, but if you go back and look at it again, everything's going high speed, high speed. And all of a sudden, right when Corey Prey goes up, he shifts in slow motion. And it takes that, that it wasn't that big of a run. It was only 15, 20 feet, maybe max, 30 on the outside. It took that and just put it in slow motion. So he took the viewer and just made him agonize because you know what's going to happen, right? But you get to think about it even more. Right. And then when I caught up with her and actually stabbed her, um, that was all in one. I don't think we did two. I don't, I'm pretty sure that was a one take, two on the outside. And then um, what we did several takes on though, is there's a scene where the knife comes up, right? He's getting ready to plunge it in her and it's just a knife. It's just a knife up here. That's where Wes got really technical and like, now hold it this way, this way, this way, because he wanted to catch a certain light, a certain look. And that's what he was after. He was after this pause up here where the knife would look what he wanted. He had this vision in his mind. So we actually, chase that for quite a few minutes to, to get it. I've had some people on the show uh, that have portrayed either Michael Myers or Jason uh, or even like some of the, the symbiotes from the Hellraiser series. And one of the interesting things for them, like sometimes some of the people don't, when they put the mask on, become this person they're portraying. Some of them treat it as just a job, but some actually have to dig deep to become this character. Was that ever an instance for you? as you put on that mask where you have to kind of become someone outside besides a stuntman or yourself kind of become this character where you have to think like dark thoughts or just kind of get yeah, your headspace. Great question. Cause you know, when I was doing the first sequel, was Drew, that was actually a lot of fun. Right. And cause I love shooting nights, you know, great location, great yeah. people, whole bit. So we had a lot of fun in that. And Drew's man, she is such a pro. She makes it easy. And uh, so, but like when I went to kill Henry Winkler, right? Uh, the principal. <laughs> so here I am a little bit starstruck, which is hilarious. And I actually had to go deep to get to the point where I could be violent enough in my thought process to whack Fonzie. Does that make sense? Yep. And um, we did about, we did about two or three takes on that. And, and Henry Winkler, once again, super pro guy, right? He's been in business forever. He's like, man, give me some energy. You got to get me. I'm like, I'm like, and he started, he and I are in the room. I'm in the closet, right? And he starts hitting me for real. I mean, he's popping me. He's like, dude, you got to just get on me. Da, da, da. And he starts messing with me. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, and he starts insulting me and tells me, he's like, you know, you got to gut me like a fish. He starts getting on me. And I'm like, you little, I'm like, okay, you want to get gutted like a fish? Yeah, because he'd been needling me for like, two, you know, two minutes, just getting me pissed. And that's what it took to get me in that state of mind to be aggressive enough to give him what he needed to do, you know, so to speak to, to, for that scene. So, yeah, and that was a good learning experience for me, you know, developmentally as a, you know, kind of a stuntman actor thing was to kind of go, to get a little darker and, uh, you know, let's get into the, the, the mindset of the, of the ghost face to, to, to bring that energy into the scene. You mentioned seeing uh, Dick recently and Cersei, uh, but before you even get to the before you even get to the point where they can mentor you, how do you even get into this industry? Like, what is the was there a specific stunt or a movie or show you saw growing up that man, maybe I could do this? Like, how do you kind of jump into this world? Yeah, so you know, and I think it's easier now to become a stuntman, stunt performer than it was back in my my day. Um, and I got to be off base about that because I'm not really that tight in the community per se. Um, but back in my my era, it, it was flat out a hustle. I mean, you had to go find a set, you know, find a stunt coordinator, 
wheels your way through all the maze of <clears throat> you know everything say hi to them shake their hand give them a headshot go hey i'm just out looking for work and that was like the old school way of doing it and you just flat out hustled your way to this business and i remember sitting on universal uh, studios tour as a kid and that's a working that's a working you know studio yeah. so the tour goes through working and I remember seeing production going on. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to be on that side of the fence, right? And then later on, when I was pushing to get into the industry itself, I was doing extras work, right? And once again, like, um, you know, extras are in this little section over here with a box lunch and the A-team's on that side of the fence with catering and, you know, steak and lobster. I'm like, I got to get on that side of the fence. And so those were the motivations to, to to get on that side of the fence, to be, you know, in that, in that side of production. It's now when you've done stuff with like Baywatch and Walker, Texas Ranger and profiler television work versus movie work. Is it different in terms of this? Like obviously budgets are different, but the actual stunts don't work. They change, right? Or like the filming change, like what's different or similar between both of them that affects your job, say as a stuntman. So, that's a really good question because people don't really collate the difference between production or you know film wise and TV wise. Um, film, you have bigger budgets, more time, you know, and TV is just bam, bam, bam because uh, you know it's episodic. It's you know, right. a week, two weeks to pound it out. So I like the pace of TV. I like the pace of it. You show up, you know. You're banging it out. You're doing multiple news, and it's fun. I like the pace because you're just you're crushing it. Just, you know, and it was fun because it was like earlier in my career we would do some, we were doing some low budget films, and and we'd have multiple locations on a Saturday because that's the only time they could get the you know the permit to do a car chase, and so we would, we'd have six setups and location changes in downtown LA, and it was just fast and furious, and it was like guerrilla filmmaking. It was really fun. So I always liked the pace of TV. Um, but when you get into to, to movies and motion pictures, it's like you got big stunts with big money and big time and you prep the heck out of it because it's big stuff, right? So it's, it's almost apples and oranges. In terms of trading, I assume like most things in life, if you don't do something long enough or if there's a break between, you, your skills get perishable, specifically, especially when it comes to stunt work. But when it, when it, for somebody like you, when you're doing all this filming, how much time do you have to try out new technology where it's like, hey, this, we're doing this underwater stuff, we're going to try this new technology, or I need to practice this thing. Like, do you have time to do all that, or is that built in kind of into the production of these the things you're doing? It kind of both. <clears throat> you know, maybe we, it would be like, <clears throat> excuse me, it'd be, hey, you know, I did a bunch of underwater work, right? Or, uh, Tony Caesar and I did a bunch of fire stuff together. And, and then, you know, that, that subset industry would evolve. We'd be like, hey, man, I just heard about this. Let's try this out. And it might be as simple as like, hey, let's go grab a weekend and go mess around and get in the garage and, and see something. Or like, let's go grab some tanks and some regs and go jump in the water and, and play around on personal time. Because then if we could develop personally, then we could bring it to production professionally. And then there's other times where you'd be on production and like, hey, they want to do this. And, and here's this really cool equipment, you know, that maybe one of the underwater coordinators or somebody in the industry it, you know, brought forth. I'm like, man, let's try it, you know. But I, I usually did. I found most of, for me personally, I found most of my um, advancements or developments happened on my own time. Is there a particular, I mean, Lady of the Water is amazing, but like when you, when it comes to water or fire or whatever other chemical you want to throw yourself on, is there a particular stunt, stunt that you really love doing? Your one that, hey, do I have to do this? Or like, how's it work for you in terms of where you get to a production and you see the script, you got to do this or this, and maybe the director's like, hey, we might change this up to do this. Can you do it? Like, is there ever any trepidation on your part when it comes to like a particular stunt? No, you know, because, you know, I'm a stuntman. That's my job. And if there was something right. that I don't think I actually ever said no to a stunt in my career. And there's been a couple that have, you know, awesome. stretched me out pretty good. <laughs> so, and, 
And uh, the old saying is, it's not the big ones that get you, it's the little ones, and which is true. I've been tore up more doing, you know, falling over a table than I ever have riding a dinosaur. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it is, it, unless it was so gnarly and over, just outside of my skill set. And I, I prided myself back in my time just being a, a it's called ND, nondescript, right? I was just a guy that could have a lot of good skill set. I'm just a solid guy. I'd show up and do my job. That's all I wanted my peer group to think. Sometimes when you go on like those websites like Internet Movie Database or these things where you look at the casting stuff, when it says stuff like utility studs, uncredited studs, stud performer, could you kind of talk me through? Now, obviously, the stud performer is something like Ghostface, uh, but when it comes to the utility or uncredited, like what is the just the justification of what makes one different than the other? How come sometimes prolific stuntmen like yourself are uncredited in certain roles in stuff you do? Yeah, um, if I remember correctly, they only have to list <clears throat> X number of stunt guys in the credits. Um, and then, you know, if you got a, if we're doing some major car scene and I'm like number 50 out of, you know, 50. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm down here. They're like, no, you know, I'm the only guy. Put me in the corner in the back, you know, I'll probably be on the editing room floor, which I've been more on the floor than ever on screen, you know. Um, and utility, nondescript, whatever, or unscripted. So that's just that generalization. You know, like, hey, we're in a bar. We got a dozen dudes. Hey, follow where you get hit. You, you know, whatever. It's it's just a generic stunt, right? So that's kind of how that is. There that, a, that is. is there a particular genre that you gravitate towards or it's like would you ever i mean obviously you said you didn't turn down any stunts but is there a genre like action or horror or drama or something a period piece where you're kind of like yeah i'll do it like is there what's your favorite uh when you're working like what was your favorite genre you to call from and just partake in you know as far as like the horror films or stuff so obviously my favorite because it was the most prolific at, at least in my generational ways was loved action there was a bunch of it right yeah Horror, horror films are always horror films because I am a horror film fan. I mean, I grew up on the black and whites, like Bela Lugosi and like Creature from the Black Lagoon, all this, this classic genre for that 50s, 60s, 70s. And then even um, a lot of my buddies, we would sit there and just, you know, during high school, junior high, we'd go see these B slasher films that were just yeah. hilarious to us. We'd have such a great time, you know. And it was kind of like the cheesier the effect, the more we liked it. So I love those BC, you know, horror horror films. What is the craziest stunt uh, you've done? I mean, so, so for me, I love Nick Cage. And so you're obviously working with Face Off and Con Air. But every time I watch the movie Con Air, I look at that scene in the boneyard, the airplane boneyard. And it looks, I mean, obviously, maybe a couple of actors can actually fire a gun. But the amount of stunt work needed for the explosions and the shooting and all this stuff, it's like, is that, what's the craziest production you've been a part of where it's like, there's so much going on where it's like your head's on a swivel the whole time? Um, yeah, anytime you're involved in the shootouts <clears throat> and stuff blowing up and, you know, multiple elements cracking off the whole time. Um, yeah, your head's on a swivel and you're having fun with it. And it's funny because like when you're in big stunts or multi multiple element stunts it, you know even though you might have your adrenaline but your head you're thinking right you're like okay i'm supposed to shoot the guy here and this is going to go off here this is going to happen here you know at least for me i'm always thinking about how the stunts unfolding right and it's all it's all very normal and very calm to me uh i get this huge adrenaline hit either post or prior but then when it's time to go and get the job done I'm thinking all the way through. Does that make sense? You know, it just, it just yes, it unfolds does. to me. So, uh, how often has there ever been a time where someone like yourself, or maybe Dick or Tony, or whoever the stunt coordinator is at the time, when they're filming something, it gets filmed, and he goes to the director, "Hey, let's do this again," or "This isn't really believable in this world we're creating." Like, how much say does a stunt person have, uh, letting? Politically and politely telling that, hey, this this really isn't done this way. I, I get if you want to film it this way, I'll do the job, but we should probably do it this way. That's the stunt coordinator's job. And if the director has a good, healthy relationship with their stunt coordinator, they let gotcha. the stunt coordinator do the job, right? Um, 
there was a classic. Here's a good. Here's a brilliant example of, of something like that. Um, Tony would throw some ideas out to Wes Craven, and Wes would go, "Yeah, let's try it, right?" And it would work. Um, back in back in way back to Scream One, there's a scene when I'm pursuing Drew, and there's a scene where she turns around. And I put my head through this like kitchen window, right? And we did, and then Wes came back. I guess after he saw it in dailies, um, he didn't like my head movement or something like that. So he jumped back in, I think the next day, and I wasn't even on set. Shot it again, right? As him being Ghostface, putting his head through this window. <laughs> and um, when the final cut happened, it was back to me. So whatever Wes did, he didn't like himself doing it. So they used me originally. And, and so there's an example. So he, he, he shot it and he didn't like it. And then he still went back to the original, right? <laughs> Is was Wes Craven the most hands-on director you've worked with in terms of direct with you in terms of how you want to film something and pull off a certain stunt? Um, that's a great question. I, I'm sitting and putting my brain on rewind real quick, you know. To I mean, you've worked with every top director out there, so it's it's one of those things where it's like it just seems like when you hear someone talk about a certain person as you do Wes, like the amount of respect and admiration you have to that person, it seems like that connection there. Uh, was super vital and obviously to your career. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've worked with some great A-list directors. Um, some of them directly, some of them, like I said, you're going back to the utility guy. They're like, I guarantee you they don't, the director doesn't know I'm the 49th guy, 50th guy in, you know, that's fine. I don't want to, yeah. They're, they got a bazillion dollar budget movie they're directing. They don't need to have coffee with some, you know, stunt dude. So, you know, I probably worked because I worked so many times with Wes and, and whatnot. Um, I probably had the closest relationship with a director. You know, I learned a lot from Wes. And I love time to talk and chat and hang out a little, little bit. Not a lot. You know, we're always working. So, and I love the fact that a director like that or whoever could be like, once they have a good working relationship with someone like you or the rest of the team, they bring them to other productions. And I think that's really unique. I mean, you go from people under the stairs to screen, I mean, whatever it is, it's like, you're kind of like, man, this is, this is super cool. Yeah. And, and it was a good relationship and, you know, like I said, I miss them and uh, learned a bunch. I had a great time with it. Beautiful chapter. I was, you know, a uh, great time in my stunt career. Now, one of the first roles you jumped into, The Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, iconic. When you hit that level that quickly, like, is it, what, is it surreal to you that it, it, maybe even the bigger picture is you've been part of such big, prolific, iconic productions that when you retire, are you retiring just because you feel like you get older, injuries, or you just want to change career paths? Or I mean, even when you do retire, you have to look back and be like, man, I've done some insane stuff. Yeah, and that's that's yes to all of the above, you know. Um, you know, I got I kind of kind of got burned out on the film industry, you know, and uh, and uh, so like Terminator One, you know, I was that guy in the back driving a car, okay. But it was still made, you know, it was a big picture at that time, and it was yeah. a good stepping stone. Um, but I got I got pretty burned out on the film industry, and I've been working a lot, and things were it was a great career, but. Um, you know, the film industry is tough. There's nobody in it that will tell you anything. Otherwise, if they are, they're lying. You know, it's one of the, it's, it's a tough industry. You know, and I, after so many years, I'm just like, you know what, the, it's not worth the price of admission for me, uh, mentally or physically to put up with the nonsense that occurs in that industry anymore. So, you know, the, the minutia started, uh, outweighing the paycheck for me and I, I the bottom line is I really got tired of you know people screwing with me and trying to get my money or screwing with really good friends of mine and stunt coordinators and producers and all that crap that goes on behind yep. the scenes that people never get to see but they hear about or they're at the effect of so I got tired that's all it was I you know the saying is is I miss like if I like when I was talking to Dick and Tony and these guys when we get together and, and collectively talk about the film industry. It's like we miss the BSing, but we don't miss the BS. Yep, I got you. And that's you know that's how that worked. So I know it was fine. I didn't 
you know, I was in, I coordinated a little bit, but at that point I was so burned out, I didn't even really want to pursue that direction. So it was a good time for me to get out and I had a great career and I was, you know, I ended up doing other pursuits and endeavors and things that had my interest. In terms of when you, like, after you retire and what you're doing now, do you still miss kind of the rush of doing a stunt or what do you do now that supplements if you do have that rush or that need to do something adventurous? Like, do you still do stuff like scuba diving or rock climbing? Like, what do you do that kind of feeds that, like, I, like do you ever lose that love of what you did before in terms of stunt work? Yeah, you know, the adrenaline, right? And then I was on that cocktail for a lot of years. Yeah. And you talk to stunt performers and they'll tell you like, even though they're not in front of the camera doing stunts, big stunts, little stunts, whatever, they're on, they're still on the cocktail. Right. And when you finally step down and it, it's like something it take a for starters, it takes a lot to really get me to do an adrenaline dump. I mean, it's either, it's, it's gotta be something fun, scary, or, for real scary for me to get excited. Right. right. Uh, and then on your podcast, you've talked to some pretty hardcore operators and, you know, and, and example given, you see these guys that are 16, 17, 18 years into a military career and they punch out before they make their 20. Right. I'm like, why'd you punch out? You know, and these guys would tell me stories of like, they would be in the middle of some serious tier one pointy spear stuff and they weren't getting excited you know i'm like well how hardcore and how you know how hardcore is that <clears throat> that you're in literal firefight and they're just taking care of business they're having coffee you know and i've talked to quite a few um few uh warriors like that and right. like, why'd you punch out they're like hey you're old you're tired you're kind of and a lot of them uh, multiple people have told me they, they got out because they just didn't get the rush anymore. You know, like I said, you've had them on your podcast. You've talked to them a bazillion times. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, after I kind of walked away from that and I went down some other things that would give me that buzz, but you know, I'm pushing 60 this year or next year and I don't, I'm good. I'm getting fat, old and retired. I love it. <laughs> so uh, the fat part, I don't love too much, but, um, you know, I, I like chilling out now. I've been, I was on adrenaline a lot, you know, even post-career, post-stunt career, I was still doing some fun stuff. And I'm, I'm pretty good about not seeking that out anymore. If it happens, right. cool, but I don't, you know, I don't need to go jump out of a plane to get it anymore. I'm, I'm okay with not being on the cocktail. Right. Now I'm familiar with the Saturn Awards, and they always give out awards to the stunt men and women stunt teams. But do you think, from a not necessarily an awards uh, standpoint, which obviously is great, but is there enough being done for the stunt men and women in the entertainment industry? Like, should there be more? Like, how come they're never announced on the Academy Awards? Like, why isn't it ever like a? Because you look at all these productions, and so, the coolest things I always see are someone with like Christopher Platt or Stallone or somebody's these world name actors or actresses they always thank their stunt men or team they're always posting pictures about them the rock's always doing it why isn't it acceptable to do that in a awards platform like is that something that's ever irked you or something like dick or tony where it's like hey like we're here too or is it part of the thing you talked about earlier where it's like hey i'm just here to do my job i usually have to see my face yeah i mean great question i mean personally <clears throat> if you take a look uh financially demographically the, the the stunt department the biggest gross boxes are always action related stunt related films correct okay the stunt department also runs production wise on the lower end of the product i mean i've been on productions where the stunt department <clears throat> is below craft service i mean <laughs> there's this you know and so when you look at it when you actually someone take a deep dive and look at it statistically stunts make the most money period 100 percent uh stunts brings the most money into screen actors guild period that's a fact and yet we have the least recognition um and i don't know what that resistance is from like let's say the academy level right um, so 
I would love to see that actually get to the point where they go, you know, Academy Award for Best Stunt Coordinator action sequence. Da, 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 da. So it may it may happen. I, I wish it would because you know, for as valuable as stunts are in a film, um, we're very undervalued as far as that that section of it, as far as the Academy or even the Screen Actors you know, Awards. Because you know, we have effects, gets us awards, you know, well, not stunts, at least not yet. It's, it's kind of pushing that way, and it'll probably open up eventually. But uh, I'd love to have seen it 10 years ago. Right. When, so when you retire in 2012 or that time frame, how many other people in the industry retire around that same time frame? Is it the same number of people entering the, the industry, or is it, is it like an equal balance where people retire, like most jobs, whether it's law enforcement, military, people retire, people come in? Like, how do they... Because I assume with all the productions going on and everything at once, like specifically a lot, every show you watch now has stunts or some sort of stunt in it. Is there enough people to do that, or is it just people just jump around endlessly in the terms of trying to satisfy all the needs? Yeah, there's no shortage of talent. Okay. Yeah, um, and the the performers today are just younger, faster, quicker, better. I mean, geez, are they so talented? I mean, God, I wish I had that talent when I was still in the game, right? Like, how do you guys do that? I mean, just super talented people. Right. Um, and I think Stets today is much more specialized when it, than my era. You know, back in my day, it was, you did a little bit of everything because that's what was necessary. Now you have guys that specialize in nothing but wire work, nothing but rigging, um, nothing but cars, you know, and that's okay to have a specialty. Um, because it makes you that specialized go-to dude, you know. But, you know, I, th- I don't know how many younger generation, like I said, I've been out of it for, you know, 20 years or 10 years. I don't know how many younger generation stunt performers are so multifaceted. You know, it's a very right. specialized industry. So I, I don't know how many ND, non-descript utility, you know, people there are that can really do a little bit of everything. Do you sell that I Kill Drew shirt at conventions or where did, how do people get that? Cause that <laughs> thing is awesome. I will get you one. I will get you one. So um, out of this whole, yes, they are actually gonna be for sale. Just on awesome. And so this whole, little, this whole little saying came out of the fact that uh, when I started doing this convention stuff, right? Um, when I started doing this convention stuff, that's people would like, they wouldn't collate Lee Waddell, Ghostface, Scream, One. And then I'm going to like, yeah, I, I killed Drew. And they're like, you're the guy in the opening sequence and da, 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 da. And they would get all excited, right? So that was like this funny tagline that I just threw out there. So, you know, if, if, I, I'll probably get some, uh, I'll probably get a call from the Barrymore's lawyer or something. <laughs> so, but, uh, um, yeah, that's how I got. So I'll, I'll get you one. I made up. Uh, they're going to be on the website, and then uh, I'm going to sell the merch there on it. It's, it's almost a- like you could do one for I Killed the Fonz, where like the knife is the actual thumb going up. Yeah, exactly. So um, we are my web now. So here's a, something I'm going to get a plug on, and I'm, normally that's not my style. But the guy that did um, that's doing my website, my website guy. Uh, I saw him out and uh, we've been in contact over the years. He was Wes Craven's original website guy. Wow. Yeah. So he has, and he worked very closely with Wes on a daily basis. Like, it was like, hey, we're doing that, you know. So he had a lot of interaction with him. So as we developed, um, it's called Original Ghostface, right? Because that's how I'm marketed, so to speak, from. So Original Ghostface, which is great. So we, I'm like, well, it's original and I really dig the fans. That's what this whole thing yeah. is. You know? It's not about money. It's not about fame. None of that stuff. It's about the fans because the fans are just so nuts and so fun. I really like them. So it's really a fan-based, fan-driven, organic thing. So when I found um, so when I found Bill Perry, Wes's old original developer, I'm like, hey, um, this is kind of what's going on in my world. You want to come over and do a website? You know, and be my website guy because that's that's the original website guy that Wes used, right? So I actually got to use his DNA. I'm like, do what you do, do what you did for Wes, 
and and so he has. Um, there's some stuff uh, on the website, and I think the website goes live in June one. Um, back in the day, and you got to remember, this is mid '90s now, right? So this is that whole. This is when inter internet starting to take off, and that whole craziness of life. And a lot of people that watch your webs, you know, your your podcast, and listen to it and see it. You know, there's a younger generation post, you know, post mid '90s, right? Even post 9/11. Um, that had no idea, you know, you give them a regular rotary dial phone. They're like, what's this? Yeah. Um, so I got this guy to do my website. One of the iconic things I remember from back in that time, from about the mid nineties when he was doing Russell's website, he took the mask and it was rotating, right? Which is in today's standard, nothing, but back then it was huge. And it was really an iconic piece. So he did that for my website and kind of just brought that back out of the archives. I'm like, that's so brilliant, right? How original is that? You know, so it's been a real cool process so far and I'm having fun with it. And as long as I have fun with it, I'll go with it, you know? Yeah, it, it's cool that you are having fun. The convention stuff's going crazy. I know the Scream franchise, they just announced another new movie, so. So the original Ghostface, the original Ghostface is here to stay. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm so blessed to be a part of that. And I say that very humbly and sincerely. It's like, you know, I was blessed enough to be the guy to set the tone for the genre. Because, and and I'm not taking bragging rights on that. I'm just, I was lucky to be that guy, you know. And I was lucky enough to be that guy that sat down with with Wes and he gave me the direction, and and, and put that together because, you know. The Scream Ghostface fans, and, and I mean, I signed some like three-year-old tennis sneaker shoes for this kid. I'm like, I'm looking at, you know, that's how, so I got a three-year-old with that pair of sneakers I'm signing. Mom was a fan, you know, it's generational, which is, that's yep. so cool about it. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, it's humbling, it's fun, I'm, I'm blessed. And uh, I don't take it lightly, but I'm very lighthearted about it, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, so no, it's it's gratitude. It's gratitude goes a long way. Gratitude yeah. goes a long way, and uh, it's cool to see you are very grateful for everyone. Um, yeah. Well, this has been this? this has been great, Lee. Uh, thank you for jumping on here. Um, well, thanks for what you do. You have a cool podcast, man. You got some. You've had some really interesting people on your show, and I, I really dig it. And, yeah, it's it's one of those things too, where it's every week's a little bit different, and your episode will be kind of a linchpin for so for October last year. I did everything Halloween related, whether it's authors, right. actors, stuntmen. So this year I'm doing the same thing, and you're gonna be one of the linchpins uh, this year with uh, C.J. Graham and oh, uh, James Jude Courtney. So. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like get people have really interesting stories outside of what people normally know people for, and you're no exception to that. So again, thank you for your time and thank you for everything. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, putting up with me and getting our schedules put together finally. And you know, most viewers, listeners don't realize what it takes to to, to pull a podcast off. You know, a webcast. It's there's a lot of moving parts, and it took you and I several months actually, you know, uh, to to get things lined up enough to where it would happen. And even then, you know, let your viewers know that I changed schedule on you like 72 hours ago. You know, it's like, hey, <laughs> I got some family stuff going on. I wanna go down and see my dad here while I'm in SoCal and you know, you're out there in Florida. And uh, and you're like, yeah, no problem. We'll just do it earlier. I'm like, cool, man, thanks. Yeah, yeah no, it's well things too. It's obviously it's after the last couple of years, it's good to be busy traveling, seeing people working, doing the stuff we do. And uh, yeah, it's uh, nice to again, I, uh, I value your time today. So thank you for this. And uh, we'll have to do it again someday. All right, brother. I really appreciate you and I appreciate what you do. And we'll have some fun and maybe we'll cross paths again. And it, uh, I guarantee you, you and I have a lot of mutual friends and from a lot of uh, different facets of, of life, not just the STEM industry. And uh, I will get you one of these I Kill Drew shirts. And uh, I'll, I'll, as soon as we get offline, we'll, let's reconnect and I'll, get you, I'll shoot you one out. and. We're with pride and it's a great thing. And so I really appreciate you, man. Just be safe with it all. Awesome. Thank you, sir. I right, talk to you all soon. Take care. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. 
If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your chocolate order. It'll change your life. Thank you. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.